Welcome back to Investing Experts. I'm Daniel Snyder. In this episode, we're joined by Zachary Marks. He is a chartered financial analyst who has consulted for many institutions across all financial markets and currently is a senior quantitative analyst working here at Seeking Alpha. He knows a ton about data and properly valuing the underlying metrics of companies and figuring out their growth stories. And I've personally read all of his research on Seeking Alpha, and I think you're going to love the insights he's bringing today. If you're enjoying the show, this episode, the guests, let us know. You can follow Investing Experts on Seeking Alpha, leave ratings on your podcast app of choice, and engage in the comments section of the show notes pages. We love hearing from you. Now let's get to the interview. All right, Zach, let's go ahead and dive right on in. We got to start with this one. What is your general over market view right now? I would say overall, I think that the general sentiment like around the market is, at least from my perspective, like pretty positive. But, you know, volatility has definitely been, you know, pretty, uh, pretty heavily weighing on, on market participants. And we see a big increase input volumes um, over the past couple of weeks. So I think people are hedging a lot, um, which can be an advantage to you know investors like us who don't have to hedge or don't have to think about you know next quarter's returns. It can take a longer term view. Um, so from my perspective, honestly, I think you know everyone's worried about this SIVB situation and the other kind of ancillary banks that have failed like Signature and and uh, Silvergate. But I'm taking a longer term view, and I, I honestly don't think that we're going to see much more contagion from there. It seemed like those banks were kind of, for lack of a better term, hedged inappropriately. So I'm taking a longer view, and I'm definitely still buying uh, buying stocks right now. Speaking of buying stocks, you've been publishing a lot of articles over here on Seeking Alpha. You sent over two names that we're going to cover today in the episode. How did you go about finding these stocks? Yeah, so uh, I think from part of my investment process, I like to look at stocks that aren't as widely followed, just because I think, you know, there's less competition. And, you know, if you kind of think of it as game theory, you want to know who the other side of the trade is. And it's much tougher, or at least in my experience, and from what I've seen, it's much tougher to make money, or, you know, find an undercovered stock or, or potentially undervalued stock, when the entire rest of the street is looking at it. If there's a hundred other analysts, or even just anecdotally on Seeking Alpha, if there's been 20 articles written about a stock in the past you know, month or two months, it might be more difficult to find kind of the undercover asset or, or something that you know maybe the rest of the street missed just because they're not looking. And, and that's kind of what I think is, is going on with the, with the two stocks that we're going to discuss, uh, Nelnet and, and Licked. Well, so you just shared them out. Let's start with Licked. What is Licked? What is this company? I've never heard of it before. Maybe some of the listeners haven't either. What's the thesis in the play here? Yeah, so uh, Lit is a rural telecommunications corporation, which, you know, maybe not everyone hears that, but to give kind of the quick thesis and what the tailwinds it has behind it is, is oh, since the pandemic, we've seen a lot of people and, you know, I can say a lot of my friends as well have spread out across the country and have kind of been migrating away from cities and, you know, even at Seeking Alpha and a lot of other corporations, we see more and more people working from home. And as a result, high-speed internet is needed in much more rural areas, given that these corporations have you know, workers working from pretty remote areas now. Um, and that's what Lick does. So Lick services 
rural areas across the country um, and, you know, tries to set up high-speed internet in undercovered areas. And they kind of have a monopoly in these areas just because there is no competition. It's they're the ones that made the capital investment in this uh, in these areas. And now they're reaping the reward from here. So you're saying they built out the infrastructure kind of like a, you know, I think most people think about like a Verizon, right? They build the infrastructure and then they, they sell it to the customer and they have a monopoly, you say? How is that legal? I guess I, I don't want to talk. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to go into the legality uh, of, uh, you know, monopolies. But I think... The answer is there hasn't been the incentive for other players to come into this space because it's already served and there aren't so many, you know, there isn't a huge population of of customers in kind of the mountains of New Mexico or in a rural part of Michigan or, uh, you know, Western, Western New Mexico or, or, you know, Northern Oregon. So there isn't a huge market there actually now the government is even providing funding to Licked to expand in these areas to serve even more businesses because there, there's still demand here. It just takes a while because, you know, the capital investment, it takes a long time in most cases to kind of get that money to come back to you. But Licked has done a great job of capitalizing on this. And we now see, I think one of the things that the market has missed is Licked has now gotten a grant for almost $127 million from, uh, from a, a new recently passed act from the Biden administration, which is essentially a third or over a third of the, of the company's enterprise value because it, it has no debt now. So, And actually, since that has been passed, the stock is down, which is, which is really surprising in my opinion. But I think that is one of the things that I, I like to look for. So I kind of like to look for what is a, what is a factor you know, as a quant, I do a lot of factor investing and think about what factors are going to outperform in the future and what factors are going to help my portfolio make money. And one of the things I want to be exposed to, I think, is the government has passed a lot of these grants, whether it's Inflation Reduction Act, which we'll talk about with Nilnet, um, and this grant, which is the access to communities across rural America. And the Biden administration essentially provided $750 million uh, or 759 million to bring high-speed internet across rural America. And Lyft is really able to capitalize on this because they're essentially getting, you know, for lack of a better term, free money to help expand this their services across America. And they're going to be able to choose, given you know the rules of basically what I've seen on the um in the act, they're going to be able to choose where they can deploy this money first. And they're going to deploy you know, given the incredible management team, it's, it's Mario Gabelli and his, you know, kind of friends or who he selected to be uh, in charge of this corporation. Um, they're going to deploy it in wherever they think is the most accretive uh, potential new business. So we're going to see, in my opinion, a lot of new earnings um, and a lot of new earnings power coming from this grant. How long of a time horizon does an investor need for this particular story? That's a great question. So I think it seems like this money is going to be deployed over a number of years. So that's one of the things I I think, you know, where we can have an advantage is, again, we don't have to worry about next quarter's returns, which a lot of institutions do. So I like to look and hold this for at least, you know, three to five years. 
especially because, you know, I think one of the risks I talk about is it's, it's pretty illiquid. Like it only trades a couple of shares a day. And if you look at the bid ask spread, it could be $500 apart some days. So from my perspective, you know, this is not, I'm trading in and out of this stock on a, on a week or even monthly or quarterly basis. It's I'm holding this for a long time. And I want to be because I think the incentives are aligned with management in that, you know, Mario Gabelli owns the overwhelming majority of this company. And when you factor in his friends as well, they, they own the overwhelming majority of this company. And the company has been laser focused on buying back shares. In fact, a few years ago, someone asked if they would ever do a split to make this company more liquid. And Gabelli's response was, I would do a reverse split before I do a split. So he wants to keep this company kind of close to the chest and make sure that the shareholders who are in this are really aligned with the long-term success of the company and not worrying about next quarter. So that sounds like a Buffett play a little bit. So what is the risk here? Yeah. So I would say, as I mentioned, one of the biggest risks is liquidity. So, you know, the share price is pretty high. So if you need this money, you know, tomorrow or in a month or later, rather than later, I would say this is not the stock for you to own. Additionally, there are no earnings calls and no kind of communication with management outside of their shareholder letter and the 10K. And lastly, this company trades over the counter. It doesn't trade on a major exchange, which means that they don't have the same reporting standards um, required by NYSE and NASDAQ. You're kind of putting a lot of faith in management. But with that being said, I think that's why the opportunity is here. It's because we don't have to fight against a lot of institutions who just can't buy this because it doesn't trade on a major exchange or it doesn't have the liquidity necessary for their kind of mandates. So yes, there are risks like any stock, but I think the risk reward here is, is very attractive if you're willing to hold it for the long term. So to play devil's advocate, uh, what would you say to people that are saying Starlink might be coming to solve this issue that they are trying to solve? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. One I've never thought of before, but um, I would say the, I would say there, there's a couple of responses. So number one, I think we're pretty far away from seeing you know mass adoption of Starlink internet. So I think that's decades away, if I'm being honest. And then the other thing I would say is Starlink is a business. So they're going to go after the biggest markets first. They're not going to target a town with you know potentially only 20,000 people in it. And we're even seeing that now. The government is literally having to give money to Lyft via these grants to put high-speed internet in these towns with very, you know, with a very low population. So I would be very surprised if Starlink is going after those towns with very, very small, small populations. All right. So let's go ahead and leave it there on Lick Corporation. That's ticker L-I-C-T and move on to this next one, which you say the market is looking at all wrong. They have it in the financial services sector, but you're saying that there's an argument that it shouldn't be there. So let's go ahead and get into Nelnet, ticker symbol N-N-I. Yeah. So Nelnet is in the financial sector. 
uh, currently, but I think in the future, it might have a chance to move sectors. And the reason I say that is because its legacy business is, you know, in finance, it's essentially a loan portfolio where they create, a, uh, where they collect a spread off the interest, but it's now a conglomerate. And essentially, Nelnet is using the proceeds from their loan portfolio to fund this diversified conglomerate of companies. And they're making new investments every single day, which is just further diversifying their revenue streams. What kind of investments are we talking about here? They have five different operating segments right now. So we'll, we'll start with the first one, which is their legacy finance business, which is a loan portfolio of student loans, which are guaranteed by the government. So the government has now taken public student loans in-house. And since 2010, uh, there have been no new, uh, no, no new loans issued. So it, it, right now, this is kind of a melting ice cube. It's eventually this loan portfolio will be paid back. Uh, but but right now they're still collecting a nice interest income, and I think this year will be the most they collect. But they're still going to collect, you know, well over 100 million for the next couple of years, even 200 million next year, I think. The second business is their loan servicing division, which is Nelnet Diversified Services, where they essentially have a contract with the government to service these loans. So even though the government is issuing these new loans now, but they're servicing them. So if you get a loan from the government, you might be familiar with Nelnet because you're paying that loan through the Nelnet servicing portal. Um, the next one they have is a, a new one, which is actually as of March 2020, which is called Nelnet Bank, which um, is a new bank. And they're actually the first new industrial bank launched since 2008. Now, a Square, I think, followed up right after them. They're sourcing new loans via this bank, um, doing private student loans, and then also you know, kind of vertically integrating by having their Nelnet Diversified Services service those student loans as well. And then also going after some consumer loans as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this bank more and I, I kind of want to go through some of these more in depth, but we'll keep going. So Nelnet Business Services, which is really, really interesting. And I think this is one of the things that is kind of being undervalued or overlooked. So this is um, an education tech business. They essentially are the backend software and administrative systems for new schools and charter schools and private schools that are coming that are coming to fruition or, or kind of newly starting up. They are essentially a SaaS platform for education, as we'll go into. That they're growing really, really rapidly, and this asset light business is. I think being overlooked because this company is essentially almost trading at book value, even though they have a very, very asset-like business that's spitting out over a hundred million in operating income a year. Then they also have um, Nelnet Communication Services, which, which similar to Lit, um, they're doing fiber optic network in kind of also some underserved markets like Nebraska and Colorado, although they're not benefiting from the grant we talked about uh, in, in Lick's case, but they did just sell off um, a massive portion of Allo. They, they sold off about, I think, 52% and realized um, a nice gain on their investment and now have preferred shares and are a minority owner of the company. I think they own 45% now, but they're still going to collect dividends. And it seems like 
you know, this is a very, very growing business. I think we're still going to see a lot more return from this company as it goes forward. Lastly, the thing I would say I'm most excited about is Nelnet Renewable Energy. Um, and this is this is kind of where I got really excited about this company because Nelnet essentially had a problem in that their core legacy business was rolling off or, or melting away. And they needed to find something where they can deploy this massive capital that their loan book is, you know, spitting out and still achieve the high hurdle rate of, I think, 16% compounded book value that they've done for the past um, at least 10 years. So this renewable energy business, I think, is the is the answer to that. And we'll talk about how they've kind of vertically integrated across here and have real, real competitive advantage now. There's just so much opportunity with this company and the management team just has an incredible track record of compounding book, book value over time and being successful in their businesses. And we can talk about their venture portfolio also, which they also forgot to mention as well. They have a 20% stake in a unicorn called Huddle, which if you've ever heard of it, Huddle has a monopoly in sports analytics. They've essentially set up cameras um, across high schools in the US and work with uh, teams to do analysis in high school sports. So now if a scout wants to see, you know, Daniel Snyder's high school uh, highlight video, they can just seamlessly upload it via huddle and send it to a scout. And then teams can review each other's previous games to prepare for, for future matches. And they also are doing this in not just high schools, but across several different professional sports. Um, it's being used in the MLS and uh, a few a few other professional sports as well. So there's just really an incredible amount of things to be excited about by by this business. And you know, management team's track record of investing is just unbelievable. So that's a lot of different business segments that you just dove into. But in regards to the financials, what should shareholders or potential shareholders start getting really excited about? Great question. So. You know, obviously, we just talked about a lot of different business segments they have. So they break out um, a bunch of them. So we'll talk about right now, where is kind of the cash that's coming in the door coming from? So it's honestly a pretty equal split between loan servicing, asset generation, which is the, the credit portfolio, and then the ed tech right now. So in the last, I guess, annual report, we saw loan servicing brought in 573 million, EdTech brought in 418, and then asset generation brought in 509 million. So it's pretty diversified. And the other thing I would say about this company is they're pretty opaque. Management has been, you know, not as transparent as one would like, which is in my opinion, a good thing because it's, it's really, they keep things close to the chest and do very, very conservative accounting. Like some of the most conservative accounting I've ever seen in that they hold, you know, a lot of their venture portfolio at cost. In their latest letter, they even discussed how Nelnet recognized um, $45 million worth of gains from the sale of real estate in this past year, even though their current portfolio 
now has a carrying value of 80 million. And management talked about if they were to sell that real estate, they would likely realize, you know, a pretty massive gain on that $80 million. So everything they do is kind of, it feels like trying to stay under the radar, which is because I think the chairman owns about 40% of his company or 42% of this company. And the CEO owns a decent chunk of this company as well. So it feels like they're trying to keep the share price low so that they can continue buying back shares. And if we talk about, you know, rewarding shareholders, if you look at a chart of their shares, I mean, it just looks like it's going straight down like a, like a steam out. And additionally, they're paying out dividends. Although I think that the previous, uh, or the one of the two co-founders, so not the current chairman, Michael Dunlap, but another guy named, I believe, Scott Butterfield, he, I think, was more in favor of the dividend. So I'm not sure if we'll see them continue to increase it as rapidly, but they do such a good job compounding their investments and, and you know, really feel like they hit a home run almost with every single investment. It's kind of, it's kind of scary that I would almost rather than keep the money than give it back to me just because of how well they've, they've done with their investment portfolio. And I think one of the charts at the bottom um, of my, of my article is just this incredibly impressive chart of their corporate performance where they talk about how they've compounded their book value at over 16 and a half percent since 2004, which is very, very difficult to find. And they also show you how they deploy their capital since then. So dividend, stock repurchases, debt repurchases, and then all of the different investments they've made. They talk about how they're going to continue deploying this capital in their renewable solar business. So just to give a little bit more color on what that is, they're essentially setting up community solar farms in kind of rural areas, I guess, like upstate New York and Colorado. And they're setting up a subscription utility. So instead of having to have solar panels placed on the roof of your house, you'll just be plugged into their solar farm, pay a subscription and have whatever that solar farm production is reduced from your uh, utility bill. They've found a way to deploy this incredible amount of capital into a project that is also giving them government benefits via solar tax equity credits. And on top of that, they are going to be able to capitalize on these solar tax equity credits. So many investors, which if you, if you Google solar tax equity credits, don't have either the capital or the businesses or the tax liability to make good use of these credits. But Nelnet has so many other you know, business lines and they have such a high tax liability that it's going to meaningfully affect their tax liability. And I think we'll see their, their tax expense decline while they're you know, building this new business for what I think is going to be a significantly discounted price. And also just kind of furthering their advantage with this or furthering, you know, how they can continue seeing positive investment and positive returns from this. They just acquired a solar construction company. And I think that's a massive competitive advantage for them because now they're going to control the capital investment and the construction. I think this is just going to be an incredible new segment that we're going to see um, pop up 
as a segment in their you know income statement next or in, income statement and cash flow statement in the next couple of years. So Zach, I want to go back a second because as you're mentioning all the different companies, uh, venture arms, and everything else that this company has, we were talking about Nelnet Bank and the Infrastructure Bank, and a lot of people aren't really in favor of banks right now. So what is the deeper dive that you wanted to get to about this bank? Obviously, right now, there's a lot of concern with banks, and especially banks that are growing very quickly. And Nelnet Bank is growing very quickly. But um, what management has showed us over you know the past several years is they have an amazing track record of taking very small losses on their loan books. So I think, A, you know, they're kind of debt experts for, for lack of a better term. I mean, they have, since, you know, the birth of Nelmet, they've been involved in debt, number one. And then number two is they are going to continue to grow, but they're have said in their shareholder letter, they're maintaining proper levels of capital and liquidity. They also are trying to focus, I think, on government backed products. So their whole loan book is obviously backed by governments, but I think Nelnet Bank is going to continue focusing on products that either have some government backing, whether it's you know solar loans for for that type of business or the you know the consumer loans. While they're not government backed, I think again this is where we're going to have to put you know some sort of faith in management that they're not growing too quickly and they can manage the loan book. But just to give some perspective on you know why we have faith in management, so very dissimilarly to what we've seen with those regional banks that have been hurt by not managing their interest rate risk appropriately, Nelnet's management actually put into place a bunch of pay-fixed receive floating swaps. So, so what that means is they put hedges in place so that when, when interest rates rose, they would actually be totally fine and actually realized a profit, um, $5 million, I think they said, to earnings for just a hedge which is, which is just pretty amazing given that, you know, they have such a massive loan book that they need to hedge for. So I think management is going to be pretty conservative, put in place the proper hedges where necessary, and uh, we'll see the bank continue to grow, not at a pace too, too quickly. Amazing. Thank you so much, Zach, for the deep dive into Nelnet and Licked today on the podcast. Everyone listening, if you want to check out more of Zach's work, you can head over to Seeking Alpha, go to the search bar, and type in Zachary Marks. That's M-A-R-X. We really hope you got something out of this episode. And if you have any questions that you want to ask Zach about these companies, go over to the show notes page, leave a comment down at the bottom. You can also see all of the data, tables, graphs, and everything referenced in this episode as well. And lastly... Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times, myself or the guest might own positions in the securities mentioned, but this is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. And if you listened all the way to the end, you're the real MVP. Thank you, listener, and we'll see you next episode.